God said, Let the earth bring forth vegetation, every kind of plant that bears seed, and every kind of fruit tree on earth that bears fruit with its seeds in it. And so it happened. The earth brought forth every kind of plant that bears seed, and every kind of fruit tree on earth that bears fruit with its seed in it. God saw how good it was. Evening came, and morning followed, the third day. Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. There is every possibility that life appeared on Earth as early as 100 million years after it formed, when it was still little more than a steaming rock hurtling around a brash young sun in a universe full of bright, dancing galaxies receding from one another at breathtaking speeds. So fecund and resilient is life. However, modern science relies on evidence, and the earliest fossils of simple, single-celled creatures dates back only as far as 3.7 billion years ago. And as far as we know, life continued to exist only in this single-celled form for billions of years after this. Then, roughly 541 million years ago, life diversified wildly and proliferated across the oceans of the Earth in an event known as the Cambrian Explosion. Suddenly, in geologic terms anyway, multi-celled organisms evolved from their single-celled predecessors over the course of 10 or 20 million years. The waters teemed with life. Then God said, Let the waters teem with an abundance of living creatures, and on the earth let birds fly beneath the dome of the sky. And so it happened. God created the great sea monsters, and all kinds of swimming creatures with which the water teems, and all kinds of winged birds. God saw how good it was, and God blessed them all, saying, Be fertile, multiply, and fill the water of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and morning followed, the fifth day. Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Creatures such as the trilobite appear in the fossil record now. This ancient, insect-like creature probably lived entirely in the oceans of the Cambrian period. It existed in many forms, sometimes smaller than one centimeter in length, while other varieties measured more than 30 centimeters from head to tail. Ages ensued, which now have earned different appellations from modern scientists, the Devonian Age, beginning over 400 million years ago, is also known as the Age of Fish, in which fish as we know them now began to appear and spread throughout the ancient oceans. And around 260 million years ago, there began an age which needs little introduction to the modern mind, which has already seen it portrayed endlessly in films and books. The Age of the Dinosaur Then God said, Let the earth bring forth all kinds of living creatures, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals. And so it happened. God made all kinds of wild animals, all kinds of cattle, and all kinds of creeping things of the earth. God saw how good it was. Genesis 
Chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. For nearly 200 million years, dinosaurs ruled the earth. Such a time span, such a duration, humbles the student of human history. A typical history curriculum, from beginning to end, may cover several thousand years. If a brief amount of attention is given to prehistoric man, then it may be said to cover, however inadequately, as many as 10 to 100,000 years. That would certainly encompass the entire amount of time that man might be said to have been the superior animal on the planet, when his actions, such as hunting and gathering and early agriculture, began altering the animal population and the landscape of the earth. The dinosaurs, however, magnificent in size and fearsome in their innate power, dominated the earth for hundreds of millions of years. Their timeline is thousands of times longer than our own. However, like many other tantalizing bits of information that we may come across in this, the long and engaging story of Western civilization, the subject of the dinosaurs will have to be dropped. It serves only as a background, and as something that will be touched upon again, later, when we finally get to discussing the scientific revolutions and discoveries of the 19th century. Let's not move on quite yet, though. Since we don't see any dinosaurs around today, except in their modern incarnations, such as alligators or birds, we should know why they are not around. For decades after their initial discovery, scientists wondered at what could have happened to such an apparently hardy form of life that would have eliminated them almost entirely from the known spectrum of existing animal life. Over the years, a number of theories have been floated to explain their disappearance. Environmental change was always a popular explanation. However, the question always remained, what might have caused the environment to change such that it became inhospitable to virtually all dinosaur life? The most commonly accepted hypothesis explains the vanishing of the dinosaurs with a massive comet strike about 65 million years ago. As unlikely as this might have sounded to researchers many years ago, evidence has accumulated suggesting that it really was the primary cause for dinosaur extinction. Scientists investigating geological features on and or near the Yucatan Peninsula in southern Mexico in the last century began to suspect that these features are really the features of a gigantic impact crater. This crater was dated to about 65 million years ago, the same time period from which the last dinosaur fossils have ever been found. Around the world, layers of elements, likely spewed up by this impact, have been found and dated to the same time period. The crater in the Yucatan Peninsula is known as the Chicxulub Crater, and it was lightly created by the impact of an asteroid or a comet, possibly as large as 50 miles across. What would have been the immediate result of such an impact? It would have thrown mountains of burning matter into the atmosphere, fire in the sky. As it fell in or near the ocean, the impact would have also created a mega tsunami with waves as high as one kilometer or more. Such a wave would have reached all shorelines around the world with unimaginable speed and force. Creatures that didn't die as a result of the immediate impact and tsunami would have been subject to terror falling from the sky in the form of flaming debris. The atmosphere would have become thick with dust. In the long term, it might have been the dust in the atmosphere that delivered the killing blow to many species. A darkened earth, covered with a dust cloud that shielded life below from the warm glow of the sun, would have chilled quickly and remained cold for many years. Food sources would have dwindled. It would not have been a good environment for creatures in need of massive supplies of food in order to survive. In such a post-apocalyptic world, only the smallest might be able to survive. Small lizards and small mammals.
Mammals were not born in the aftermath of the dinosaur extinction. They were rather opportunists who had already lived among the dinosaurs, leading furtive existences, sleeping in holes in the ground, emerging at night to steal eggs from dinosaur nests. The oldest mammalian fossils are 300 million years old, making them contemporaries with the dinosaurs. They had diverged from reptile life, possessing fur instead of scales, giving birth to live young, feeding them during a prolonged infancy with milk produced within the bodies of their mothers. Their bodies were also capable of thermoregulation. They could generate their own heat and did not rely on the sun or other external sources to keep their organs warm. After the dinosaurs went extinct, mammal life proliferated and diversified. Once a class of animal, mostly rodent-sized and living in burrows beneath the surface of the earth, they changed shape and grew in size during millions of years of evolution. They ran and leaped over land, climbed trees, even took to the water, and became prototypes of the dolphins and whales that we see swimming in the oceans today. Mammals are distinguished from reptiles by more than just certain external features, such as fur or breasts to provide milk. More significantly for mammals is their innate cleverness. On the whole, mammals tend to be rated as more intelligent than reptiles. Language itself may be restricted to man, but virtually all mammals communicate in ways much more complex than reptiles are capable of. Mammals have larger brains, too, in terms of brain versus body size. And tool use, once thought to be a behavior that distinguished man from all other animals, is actually common among some animal species, but these species are almost all mammals. Of the various orders of mammals that originate in the turbulent period following the end of the dinosaurs, primates stand out with distinction. Gifted with limbs that possess deft digits and heads that contain larger brains than even those of their fellow mammals, primates were among the many mammals that took to the trees. Over millions of years, primates developed in various ways. To men, the members of this order of mammals seem more like cousins than any other animal. Even the most diminutive monkeys display characteristics that seem human to the casual observer. Binocular eyesight, expressive eyes and faces, fingers instead of toes on their forelimbs. Among the apes, we find an even greater degree of similarity with humans, the ability to walk bipedally, even if only for brief periods. Exceptionally nimble fingers that extend from what are clearly hands rather than paws and much larger brains. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle, and over all the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl on the ground. God created man in his image. In the divine image he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. In the 19th century, that great heyday of the nascent practice of archaeology, men first discovered the fossilized remains of human-like creatures whose like no longer existed among the contemporary family of great apes, a family which includes humans. The first discovery of such remains was of a Neanderthal, a comparatively recent occupant of the world, and a subject of the next podcast. However, subsequent discoveries turned up the fossils of other creatures, seemingly somewhere between man and ape. 
Anthropologists gave a name to this new family of primate that included man, the hominid, and they put a great deal of work into determining approximately when each of these now extinct species existed on Earth. Primates, which possess many of the characteristics of modern gorillas, have been on the Earth for at least 8 million years, according to modern dating techniques. As early as 6 million years ago, an ape known today as Artipithecus shared many characteristics with humans of today, even walking on two legs, if fossil reconstructions are accurate. Four million years ago, Australopithecus appears. This proto-human had a brain no larger than a modern chimpanzee and stood much less than five feet tall at its largest, but it walked on two legs and roamed the savannas of Africa rather than dwelling in the forest like its simian counterparts. You may remember the excitement late last century when the fossil, later named Lucy, was discovered in East Africa. Lucy was an Australopithecus that lived millions of years ago. It is two and a half million years ago when the first hominid appears that can be included in the same genus as humans. A genus is a biological classification consisting of a group of related species. The genus in which man belongs is known as the genus Homo. Homo habilis was a hominid that walked upright, had a flatter face than its contemporaries, more, its more ape-like cousins, and it used stone tools. The use of stone tools greatly distinguishes man from other animals. Once upon a time, in early attempts to clarify what makes man special among the animals of the world, tool use was designated as something particular to humanity. Further examination of the animal world has revealed that tool use of some sort is actually much more widespread. Chimpanzees use branches as tools and even craft them into superior instruments to remove termites from their colonies. Elephants have been known to leave food and holes in the ground and then cover them with sticks, stones, and other materials to protect them from their curious, hungry competitors in the natural world. And birds, of course, build nests. Octopuses and even various fishes have demonstrated the capacity for simple tool use. However, in the past, only members of the genus Homo have demonstrated the capacity to manufacture their own tools from raw materials. They were aided in this by their hands, which are features that distinguish our more human-like ancestors from those that were more ape-like. Picking up a stone and using it to dig or strike an enemy or prey is something many animals, such as apes or chimpanzees, might be capable of. Only hominids, such as Homo habilis, or modern man, have had the ability to take a single stone and make it into multiple tools, such as in a round or a dull rock, might be split open to create a new tool with a sharp edge that could be used to scrape meat from bones or even menace an enemy, human or otherwise. Archaeology has a term for technological eras that occurred in the past. The term is industry. A specific industry is known by the types of tools that Homo habilis or some other hominid left in the fossil record to be studied. The technological era of Homo habilis is known as the Oldowan industry. It has long been thought to be the oldest and therefore first industry of tool use in prehistory. Today, there is some controversy over tools found in East Africa that are older even than the oldest known Oldowan tools and may have been created by Australopithecus, but we will leave behind archaeological minutiae and proceed with the story. The point of all this is to show that tool use began as something quite simple, as ape men sitting around and splitting stones, and it became our technology of today. The developments and advances in tool use of later species of hominid in our human race are directly descended from this first attempt to turn surrounding materials into instruments to improve our lives. You can draw a straight line from Hobo habilis 
chipping rocks into scraping tools two million years ago, all the way to the skyscrapers and spacecraft of today. After Homo habilis, multiple members of the genus Homo appear in the fossil record. Most of their remains accompanied by evidence of increasingly complex tool use. If anything might distinguish man from animal, now that tool use has been shown to be much more widespread than previously thought, it is the use, production, and control of fire. Today it is believed that the use of fire dates back to more than two million years ago, to the time of Homo erectus, another ancestor of man. However, there is only evidence that fire was used by these hominids. Evidence of the actual production and control of fire is more controversial, with some researchers trying to demonstrate that fire was controlled two million years ago, while more conservative estimates suggest that something more recent, about 500,000 years ago, is a better explanation. But fire use is significant for many reasons, some obvious and others not so obvious. Among the obvious is the advantage that fire use would have given our ancestors. They could terrorize animal herds with it, keep their bodies warm with it, cook their food with it. But there are other effects of these usages of fire that are not so dramatic or immediately obvious. Staying warm with fire would have created less need for body hair to maintain warmth, meaning that less evolutionary pressure was placed on this feature meaning that hairiness was no longer strongly selected for, and now fire-using hominids might naturally become less hairy simply because their survival didn't count as much on having a thick mat of fur to protect them from the cold anymore. The greatest impact of fire may have been its use in cooking. Cooking makes food easier to digest. As hominids' food became easier to digest, the gut no longer had to work so hard. In many animals, digestive organs consume incredible amounts of energy breaking down raw foods into elements useful to the body. Breaking down food prior to eating it by cooking it freed up energy in the body for other organs, such as the brain. Over the passing years, the gut was now not so strongly selected for. Hominids with less sturdy guts could survive, with less energy required to digest food. It is believed that that may have allowed humans to evolve bigger, more energy-consuming brains as the years passed. Therefore, even millions of years ago, man was already evolving in response to the changes he had made in his environment and in his food supply. Most animals evolve in response to the natural world's impact on them. Humans have evolved in response to changes that they themselves have made, quite purposefully, in the natural world around them. Nevertheless, even with our hominid ancestors developing and evolving over those millions of years, it is only, if that adverb can be used to describe such periods of time, a few hundred thousand years ago that a human ancestor appears who truly resembles ourselves to such an extent that his name has entered into and remained in our modern vocabulary, the Neanderthal. The next episode will briefly cover the history of Neanderthal man and other archaic humans and begin finally to relate what we know about the very earliest origins of our own species, Homo sapiens. Until then, thank you for listening to the Western Traditions Podcast.